0: Then the Tuesday, uh, they brought me back in to meet with the partners. The Thursday, they took me out for drinks. Friday, they gave me an offer.
1: This episode of the Blue Mex podcast is brought to you by Net Place. Net Place is a co-working office space based in Scarborough. Co-working is quickly taking the working world by storm. Entrepreneurs of all sorts can take advantage of the many benefits offered by co-working spaces. Netwin Place is focused on small businesses, entrepreneurs, professionals, and anyone else in between. Their 10,000 square foot shared office space is ready to help anyone make their business dream a reality. Cool. Anand. Yes. What's up, man? What's up, man? Good to have you on the podcast. Thank We've you. been talking about this for like two months now. I'm happy it's finally happening. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I want to talk to you because like through you, I got to understand the VC world a lot. Okay. Right, so super glad we met. Yes, so randomly. we actually
0: met here at UTSC Yeah, yeah. Two years ago now. Was it two years? I think two Something years like ago. Something like that. It was the uh, camel chair fundraiser. When There's Dr.
1: Ravi gave the two million Yes. Right, and then they were raising more capital.
0: And it was a room full of really old people and then we were sitting like back-to-back at two different tables. And yeah. I turned around and I was like, oh who's this
1: other guy who kind of looks like me? Hey, <laughs> Ravi. Yeah, <laughs> and then when you dropped the fact that you work at a VC firm like my job dropped because
0: yeah, and then you dropped the fact that you work with startups in an incubator, and I was like, oh, whoa, we should definitely work together on more things. hundred yeah. percent, and
1: like uh, it's funny how like close we've gotten since, <laughs> right? I mean, I remember the first time we followed up and we met up, right? We just literally talked about, like, so many different things, right? You know, what's going on in startups, what's going on in the DC world, how all this stuff flows. Because back then, my biggest question mark was like exactly how companies raise the money that they do, Yeah. right? Because uh, I do not understand it. So my last tech company, when I was trying to raise capital, it was such a, a question mark. I was just shooting whatever I could, no system, no real understanding how, uh, how to like properly secure equity, how to sell off parts of your company, how to structure deals, mm-hmm. just going on the flow. And um, <laughs> you know, that was not necessarily the best way to do it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a right way to do it. Like you can approach fundraising with a process and yeah. be successful every time. and you'll see like people who are like multiple time entrepreneurs that have successfully kind of seeded and funded you know handful of companies that have you know taken it to series a series b c some even ipo or exit at large large multiples to what they initially started uh, raising money at yeah you go how are they successful at this time and time again it's it's process there's there's a way to do it right for sure
1: absolutely and like i mean from the outside looking in especially for the the VC world, the equity world, right, and the startup world in, in general, yeah. it just seems like this money is, is big, big sums of money are being signed all the time, and, and people talk about how it's such, a, it's such a scam, and other people look at it like, it's like, what, you know, like they don't, people don't understand. Like how is this thing raising $4 million? How is this thing raising $100,000, right, when it's not addressing a certain market? It's like, you know, like, what right. are the pieces involved in order to do that? And now, especially like within like the last two, three years, the resources are available through YouTube, through like online channel, you can actually go out and learn. People actually like tell you this. Right. But like five, six years ago, big question marks. So you started the VC world about what, three years now? Uh, two two years. Two yeah. years. Before that, you were at?
0: So I started, uh, I guess we'll go back to Waterloo. I was yeah. in math and accounting at Waterloo. Uh, I got my first co-op job in uh, audit at KPMG. Did that for a few years, stuck with them till I graduated, did my CA. Mm-hmm. Um, worked there full time for, yeah. for over a year as well. Yeah. And I got the opportunity to do a little secondment. So I was in their New Jersey office in a data analytics group for six months. what was that six months. Secondment? A secondment, yeah. So oh. that's like staying within kpmg but working in a different group in a different office. Okay. So I got to do that for six months and I realized, hey, I really like this, like working with data, working with tech. Let me like see what opportunities are available in Toronto, mm-hmm. and then I, I found this company called Vena Solutions, and so that's how I ended up at Vena. I was there for two years, had a great time. Uh, realized pretty quickly that, you know, SaaS companies are all about sales, and so I found an interesting position on the sales team, in uh, solutions consulting or like pre-sales basically. So that's mm-hmm. it's working on demos, working on like proof of concepts to help close a deal. Um, after doing that, I got a chance to meet a few people in the VC space just because Vena was fundraising itself. And KJ at IGAN was the first person to, to connect with me, sort of. He's another math Waterloo guy. Yeah. And after connecting with KJ on like a Friday, we just talked. They were looking for a new analyst. He called me in on the Monday for an interview.
1: So KJ was the principal of IGAN? Yes, yeah,
0: he was a principal at the time. And then the Tuesday, uh, they brought me back in to me with the partners. The Thursday, they took me out for drinks. Friday, they gave me an offer, signed it back, and started two weeks later. So, mm-hmm. it all happened really fast. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that. Like sometimes, like life flows really quickly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, what was that step? Step like because you didn't. You never thought of going to VC World. No, I Did mean, I know what it was. Like,
0: I loved what I was doing at Venna. I wanted yeah. to stay there for like the foreseeable future. Um, it was funny, I'd run into a buddy of mine from Waterloo mm-hmm. that was an entrepreneur and he had his own companies and back then we talked about VC and things like that. Like while I was in school, I guess it was in an interest area to some degree. He was like, hey, what happened to that? Like, you're still interested in those types of roles, you know, have you met any VCs in Toronto? Like, it's a pretty happening space. It's growing super fast. I was like, oh no, like, I kind of let that stuff go, right? Like, I didn't really pursue it afterwards. And then that is what, like, got me thinking again, like, hey, why why'd I stop pursuing that? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. yeah. So you're, you became an associate at IGAN. Yes. And IGAN is a healthcare tech fund. Yes. Right? Uh, investing in the Series A at, like, $3.5 million plus range.
0: So we're working our way up towards that. We're, we're usually sort of pre-Series A. That, that'll be our first check. It'll be anywhere from sort of 500 k to a million generally <laughs> on the first check. Yeah. But... Um, All-in on a company can range up to I think on some of our companies we have almost eight or nine million invested now um, But the first check will be 500k to a million.
1: Okay. Typically. Yeah. yeah So you help build the companies up from the pre, like, pre-revenue like pre stage or post-revenue?
0: Yeah, generally especially with MedTech There'll be pre-revenue when we invest. I mean we've gone as early as taking you know tech or IP that's in an institution like a university like we're in here mm-hmm. and assigning that into a new corporation and that being sort of the time when we first invest. So I think Flosonics is a good example of that where it was it was a brand new company basically that we were investing into.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you're an associate, but you kind of have like an analyst role in, within there where like right, right. Yeah. you kind of predetermine which kind of companies you want to look at. Um, you have a lot of autonomy there when it's like, a lot of like, lot of like, um, lot of clout when it comes to like which companies you want to look at. Which companies? I don't know if i call it clout. No,
0: <laughs> I mean, our our role does like it begins with sourcing. So yeah. we do everything from you know going out to different incubators, coming to the hub, coming to DMZ, BMZ, CDL, going to Hamilton going to Ottawa. Generally focused in Ontario, but. You know, recently we're out in Minneapolis. We went to Medical Alley, went to, you know, visited Mayo Ventures guys. And the idea is just to meet as many companies as possible and find out, you know, what the newest or greatest tech is. I mean, generally when we meet a new company, the first two things we try to kind of verify for ourselves is market size and competition. So we want to know, is the problem that these guys are trying to solve big enough for us to, to really want to participate, right? And then second, you know, who else is doing this? Mm-hmm. Are they? Is this really the best answer to this problem?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, one of the things I was surprised to learn is like how lean the management team of a VC fund kind of runs. Oh, yeah. right. Like, you guys have support structure, but generally, about five to seven people yeah. kind of run the fund. Uh, yeah, right? absolutely. Like a hundred million dollar fund, right? Um, how does that? How do they? How does a VC fund work? Like, what is? How is it structured? Okay. What's the thought process there, like?
0: So I can tell you about our fund. Yeah. Um, so with our fund, Sam, if again is the managing partner, he's he's the ultimate, you know, sort of stakeholder. He, he's the one that has to say yes or no to every deal. Um, but by the time it gets to Sam, we've already done quite a bit of work mm-hmm. in preparing it for him to look at, right? Um, below Sam, I guess there maybe. I don't know how to describe it, but let's say there's other partners or principals at the fund as well. So, you know, Mike Aaron's getting a lot more involved now. Um, Joel Finlayson is another partner at the fund. Um, we used to have two principals, Ollie and KJ. Uh, so Ollie and KJ are both now CEOs at our portfolio companies, mm-hmm. and so they've decided to take on a more operational role and, and get really hands-on into a business and you know take it from sort of that Series A stage where they're at right now to hopefully you know, a great exit in the future,
1: right?
0: Mm-hmm. And then there's the associates, so myself and Billy. And then we always have sort of a rotating flow of analysts, usually interns from Waterloo, Queens, Ivy.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's great. Like, one of the things like, um, I can appreciate about IGAN is you guys have a very hands-on approach with your portfolio companies, where you yeah. get in, get your hands dirty, help them do the kind of work that they need to, to get done sometimes. And especially with like healthcare tech companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, There seems to be a lot of knowledge gaps sometimes when these are research heavy kind of companies and now they're trying to commercialize um, their research or a project, um, they get into roadblocks into how that looks, right?
0: So I'd say where we help the most, at least at the associate level where we help the most is on financials, budgeting, making projections, working on decks for new investors, um, sales decks, things like that. Where they help a lot at the partner level is on biz dev, so, you know, Joel, for Mm -hmm. example, he spent the last ten years of his career in Saudi. Yeah, he's got really strong connections in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and he's over here commercializing, you know, a lot of our companies, whether you know Think Research, Esight, out in the Middle East. Yeah. So signing massive contracts to sell, you know, tons of software devices across that whole region, versus you know the way Billy or I might be able to help on BD would be kind of helping make intros to mm-hmm. single institutions, right, yeah. not really at that platform level. Yeah. And so this is where I think, again, ends a ton of value in being an active investor. We have a board seat in every company. We're focused on driving sales as well as cutting costs. And every dollar we invest doesn't just come with the dollars out of the fund, but often comes with matching dollars from a syndicate of investors that we typically try to hand pick. So we look for the most strategic investors in our sort of pool that won't only invest money, but will also invest time and their connections.
1: And potential resources as well, if they have uh, Exactly, yeah. 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 So these are your current portfolio companies right now. I believe you have about 19 portfolio companies?
0: Um, yeah, four exits, so four now exits. 19 left active, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so this is from your Fund One, like your first yes, initial fund? Yes, Fund One and extension. So An that extension.
0: Fund One and extension in total now is about $100 million. And, uh we're hoping to go out to market later this year, raising funds
1: too. Perfect, yeah. awesome. Um, so yeah, so how do you predetermine what kind of companies you work with? So these are all, again, med tech kind of companies, mm-hmm. but they're, they range the kind of problem sets they solve,
0: right? So I say it kind of falls into three buckets. So yeah. there's the medical devices, and that's mm-hmm. your like traditional med tech. They're gonna pursue FDA, hopefully sort of class two. Then there's the healthcare IT companies. So think of, think research mm-hmm. or uh, Orb Care, Brain Effects, those types of companies, and then, you know, we we have from the past sort of these B two B SaaS, more traditional SaaS companies like Fineo, FlipGive, Limelight. Um, going forward, a third sort of area of focus for us is definitely going to be in using sort of AI to complement both medical devices and healthcare IT. So the way I see AI complementing our medical device companies is. Basically, if you think of a company like Exact Imaging, they're producing a completely unique modality of imaging that nobody else has, you know, that data, right? Now that these guys have a completely unique data set that they have doctors, you know, basically sitting there day to day labeling. Mm -hmm. Well, now you have a labeled unique data set that you can use to create, I don't know, whatever algorithms they use to hopefully in the future now help doctors in that labeling. So the next time an image gets made, some software can hopefully point the doctors to the right, right areas to focus on, get them looking in the right places and then kind of nudge them towards the right answer. And I think that's the way AI is gonna end up kind of fitting into healthcare. It's not gonna be that AI is gonna replace a doctor and say, you know, it's not that we're not gonna have radiologists in the future, right? It's not, it's not gonna be that easy. Yeah. I think it'll be rather, Helping a radiologist make the right decisions, Mm -hmm. and we're still a long way from even being there, right? Because basically, regulatory frameworks—the way they're set up—is if if software is going to provide a diagnosis, you're looking at a much tougher regulatory pathway than if you just have software that's assisting, that's giving you tools. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's interesting. So. So most of these companies pretty much are creating tool sets to within that industry within the industry mm-hmm. to further like augment the ability of human players.
0: Yeah, awesome. I, I, yeah, exactly how I describe it. I mean, one thing that we say we look for is companies that are adding information to assist decision makers. Mm-hmm. And whether that's clinicians or nurses or you know radiologists or other people behind the scenes, it's it's healthcare IT and device companies that are creating information to assist decision makers.
1: Yeah. Yep. And I think one of the most like most consistent pain point that most uh, healthcare tech companies, healthcare facilities face is I think EMR integration. Sure. Right. So all these different um, um, scanning tools and different technologies made by different, different companies don't really communicate together. Right. Right. Um, how does that look for the industry? Like. I
0: mean, you know, we're we're looking at some companies that are. Hopefully trying to tackle that problem. So companies like Medchart and OrbCare, to some degree If you think research, they're they're helping kind of bridge the gap on these issues right They're They're trying to become a platform play within institutions like this that help sort of take in data from all sorts of different sources and then provide you just the output you're looking for
1: mm-hmm. you know? Like with, with the healthcare tech is there like a holy grail like people are looking for right now like like, like every industry kind of has like a hype field, right? Sure. Right.
0: I, I wouldn't say we have a holy grail that we're after. There's no specific, hey, this is it. This is the be all end all. Yeah. We're looking for this one company that's going to do everything. Just because I don't I can't imagine the rollout of that type of technology in our system the way we have it today, right? <laughs> I mean, even when Ontario tried to roll out like a, a single EMR database uh-huh. for everyone's medical records. Uh, I don't know how long it took and how many billions have been spent or whether they even have a finished product today, right? It's, I think it's, it's instead going after specific answers to specific problems and, and building up upon that.
1: So yeah. just how scalable are these kind of companies when like infrastructure and regulation is so, mm-hmm. um, put constraints to their growth levels, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, so this is sort of the double-edged sword of, of kind of being in a single payer system like mm-hmm. we have in Ontario. So the positive side of it is single-payer system. You only have to sell to this one group. If you can get them on side, you're in, and you know, one by one, you'll be in everywhere, hopefully. Yeah. But then you, know, you look at the US, and a lot of our companies are outselling in the US as well, but that, that's, you know, that's a whole different system. You're, you're facing a lot more competitors, and you're selling to a lot more people who all want different things. So you kinda have to choose which battle you wanna fight Or if you have the capacity to, you know, and you you have the right sales strategy, hopefully you can fight multiple battles at once, right? Mm -hmm. So you take a different version of your product perhaps to the U.S. because you know that you're selling to maybe SMEs or or smaller health systems. And so you might be able to sell something that's more modular out there versus what you're trying to sell in Ontario is a complete enterprise solution. And again, that's depending on the type of product you have and the type of customer you're servicing. There's no sort of one answer fits all, one shoe fits all mm-hmm.
1: approach. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about a, few, about a few of the portfolio companies you guys have. Okay. Um, like Brain Effects was super interesting because they won last year's. Uh, yes. Last year's uh, Pitch to Heal.
0: Pitch to Heal right? competition. Two hundred fifty
1: thousand dollar pitch competition that you guys throw now.
0: We have our second annual Pitch to Heal coming up uh, November seventh. At the Four Seasons Hotel. That's amazing. So we're, we're getting better every year and yep. uh, we're excited for this one.
1: So this is a $250,000 pitch competition and yes. you run it twice a year or once a year? Once a year. Once a year? Yes. And like what's the uh, requirements here? I know there's a beta kit. Yeah. Press let's, release. Let's pull that up. That's got the,
0: uh, scroll down a little bit there. Yeah. So we are looking for three emerging health tech companies with groundbreaking technology to pitch at the event. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there should be a link on this article that will take you to the application page. And if you can't find the application page, oh, always, you can always here. apply at uh, info, just send an email to info at IGAMpartners.com, attach a deck, and you're good to go.
1: Okay. Yeah, just attach it? Yeah. So, what kind of companies uh, are you hoping to hear from?
0: Yeah, so actually last year when we ran the event, we, we did a survey of like 10,000 Canadians just trying to ask them what are their biggest concerns, like what are they worried about, where do they think health tech can help address some of their concerns, right, and what we came up with with the top three answers were cancer, mental health, and diabetes, mm-hmm. and so that is a, sort of a, a bit of a bias to when we're looking at companies to, to filter for this competition we're going to try to answer hopefully there'll be a company for each of those three areas so we'll pick one cancer company one mental health a company that's addressing mental health issues and one company addressing issues with diabetes
1: awesome yeah so, okay so last year like when i came to the you, you were kind enough to invite me over yeah, yeah. To the pitch a heel event i had a great time there i uh, met a lot of great co- cool companies met some of your investors some other key industry players mm-hmm. Um, But really, I mean, the highlight was uh, BrainFX, right? They kind of stole the night with the pitch. Yes. Right, just uh, everyone kind of, uh, like, just after their pitch is done, the whole room kind of held their breath because they're like, okay, everyone kind of gets it. Absolutely. Um, Can you explain BrainFX a little bit and what exactly they do?
0: Uh, Right, so BrainFX uh, created basically a a cognitive assessment, um, electronic cognitive assessment that they sell through their platform. Yeah. there we go, Sam. Right? Yeah, that's Sam. That's the check. There you go. Yeah, that's there the we go. Right there. So Sam, it's real, guys. It's <laughs> Beauty. So yeah, cloud-based mental health uh,
1: digital platform. Okay. And it's uh, it was built by uh, Tracy, right?
0: Yes, Tracy Milner and the team there. Um, they're based in in Pickering right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tracy herself was actually you know a clinician. She's you know servicing patients that are that are facing sort of mild to moderate brain disorders. Mm -hmm. And she realized that they needed a tool. They needed something that wasn't just going to replace the mocha, you know, straight up, like not just take a paper test and put it on an iPad, but rather create an assessment that is also going to test your everyday functional tools. So they've got things in their tests that are like checking email or creating a to-do list, things that you need to know how to do every day anyway but now let's build it into an assessment so that we can see, hey, you know, are you suffering from a concussion or is something affecting the way that you would build a to-do list or you would check your email?
1: So how do they set a baseline on, on like, you know? Well,
0: I, I leave that to the scientists yeah. to figure <laughs> out. But they, uh, they did a lot of, they've done a lot of clinical validation and they do a lot of research in, in building these tests. So.
1: Cool, yeah. I mean, one of their chief uh, backers was, um, uh, what's his name? John Francis. John Francis, yeah, John Fraser Francis, Capital.
0: Chen Fong. She's got a lot of great investors on the, the cap table prior to us investing. And, and you know, Sam's, um, he's kind of built into the network here, especially mm-hmm. through CDL. Um, so, you know, it's always helpful to see that other investors that we believe in or other investors that we trust are also co-invested in these companies with us. Yeah. So it makes a difference for sure.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of my takeaways from that night was um, just hanging out with John John Francis and uh, just talking to him and listening to him hear, talk about his life. I mean, he's a he studied radiology, right right, right? and then from there went into iBanking banking and became a VC. Right. And I was talking about, you know, what was that what was that like? I mean, how like what was that journey about? Yeah. And um, he was explaining his life by like his main thing he was talking about is like his investment strategies, how he works with companies. Right. He picks a, he he'd rather pick up one or two few good good players that uh, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, some background noise. Yeah, yeah. 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 Going on? yeah, So he'd rather pick a few companies that he prefers, but he always goes in it with a few other friends, right? Right. So yeah. he always invest with other people. We generally
0: right? always also build a syndicate around every investment we make. It's wild, the stories that you hear from a lot of these investors, even our backers, like our LPs, it's like everybody's got, everybody's got a unique story. Like yeah. there's no linear road to becoming an investor or being an entrepreneur i think i think that's probably one of the most fun parts of my job is just being surrounded by passionate interesting people every day and you get the sense of it like when when we do like demo days where we you know sit down and meet like 10 companies it's just like the time flies by right like somebody comes in they're telling you about you know what they're dropping everything to do right Mm -hmm. like they're not spending time with their families their wives their children because they're they're focused on building this they're they believe in it that strongly, right? Getting to sit through, I don't know, hundreds of meetings like that, I realized like, those are the guys that eventually become the VCs, you know what I mean? Like, they're the entrepreneurs that will be successful, that will make the money to then go back and invest and continue to grow the ecosystem the way they do.
1: Yeah, I mean, until I I spoke to John that day, like we had, there there was a segment in the market like, like when money, the flow of money, right? Like it stays within a certain few players and like everyone kind of cycles amongst themselves and there's a negative connotation to that. But speaking to him, he was like, no, like you want to co-invest with, with people you understand and know with that can provide resources to these companies right. and you have, have a proven track record with. Um, and, you know, there's a shared value in that kind of sense. And he kind of spun it in a different way from the, from the equity side, like how valuable that is right. for both the investing side how to secure it but also for the innovator. Yeah, the I used to up.
0: think the same thing where it was like, oh, like how unfair is that? Like you have to be this accredited investor who, you know, happens to be boys with this other accredited investor to find out about these deals. Mm-hmm. And then these are the deals that get 50X returns. And the rest of us, you know, plebs got to invest in the stock market yeah. and, you know, hope, hope for 7% this year. Yeah. Right? And it's like, oh, well, actually though, it's not that's not what's happening it's they they work with people they trust and you know the osc has these regulations and guidelines around who's allowed to invest in private companies because of the type of risk that you have to take in order to invest and so if you're working with other people you trust who are also capable of taking those risks and mm. they can provide a lot of value to help grow the businesses that you're investing in well then it's just a no-brainer it's not that you're just investing with your friends it's that yeah, you know, you're working on companies together, you become friends. I yeah. think it's, yeah. it kind of happens naturally. So, yeah, my, my viewpoint on that has shifted a little bit too, and you can, you can do pretty well in the stock market <laughs> if you can't invest <laughs> in private companies. Yeah. So you, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. No,
1: absolutely. And um, I think the second thing he also said was talking about like, risk, right? I mean, mm-hmm. can- Canada is known for being very conservative when it comes to like, the investments made, especially yeah. with the VC world. Like, um, I mean, the reason why we don't have the kind of unicorns or the growth rates that American companies do, yeah. because the capital doesn't flow it easily, yeah. and you know, it, it, it's almost a, it almost seems a negative, especially from coming from.
0: I mean, we're the only early stage health tech like investor at the stage that we invest in right. in Canada. No, right. nobody else is is looking at the companies that we're looking at, and so, I mean. In the U.S. like there's a lot more capital feeding those types of businesses. Right. But the great thing about Canada is we've got, I don't want to say it's exclusive access, it's that it, there's a fight to the top, right? Yeah. So there's the companies are, are really pushing themselves, they're bootstrapping harder, they're really making their way, they're showing how profitable they can be just in order to get a series A investment. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, companies in the U.S. are ready to burn way way earlier well vcs you know? want
1: them to burn too right like they, well, they that's,
0: tell them so when we invest yes you know we expect them to burn but we also want to make sure that they are capable of being yeah. profitable yeah we aren't we aren't funding you know like we work uber roads uh you know like just burn through your ipo raise money raise more money burn more you yeah know? it's like no we'd hope that eventually these companies are going to be profitable and so we always want to make sure the unit economics are there for the company to be profitable, when they're ready to sort of slow down the the growth stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah and tying back to John Francis's last segment, like, sure. I was asking, like, you know, why aren't these, like investors here, like, take more risks? And he took it. And he's he talking about. It, and he just put it into one segment, right? Like, he's like one, se- like one um, key value point. Yeah. He's like, well, like, y- you don't go chase the moonshots. That's how you lose. Right. Right. You want to hit the singles the doubles, the triples, that's it. right? The consistent like returns. playing baseball, there you go. Right, like yeah. you keep hitting those returns and you keep consistently proving results, not just to make capital for yourself, but all the key value players in the room, they're co-investing with you, the company's working with you. Right. So you show so, uh, consistent, it's more important to show consistent returns um, totally. so more people want to work with you in the end of the day. And totally. that's how you build the value
0: add. It's a relationship business, mm-hmm. you know, so. You want to build strong relationships with everyone you work with and absolutely you know home runs are great yeah we're not saying no to home runs right but like you said you got to hit singles doubles that's that's how you win the game at the end of the day Mm -hmm. so that's that's one thing I again also kind of takes pride in is we're not a spray-and-pray VC we aren't making you know 90 investments of small amounts in a year we're out here basically investing three to five companies a year. Um, we're getting very actively involved in each company, and you know we haven't we haven't lost on the fund any 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 companies yet, and uh, you know pretty proud of that, right? Like a company like FlipGive that a lot of people sort of lost faith in, they just raised a huge Series A with you know a great VC focused on marketplaces called Framework Ventures. Mm-hmm. The FJ Labs, Fabrice Grinda out of New York invested in that round, right? Like, that's, a, that's something to really be proud of where, you know, two years ago, people you know, didn't want to invest in Flipkit at all. We're calling everybody on the street asking them if they want to participate with us in a bridge round. Yep. And, you know, we're not getting calls back. And then now, people are calling us up to say, hey, is there still room to participate in that Flipgib round? And uh,
1: Yeah, so, like Flipgib was doing right, re- yeah. <laughs> So they've been around for about 10 years, you said, right? Like, they've been a the company for 10 yes. years? Yes.
0: Uh, well, I think again first invested in FlipGive probably back in 2012, 2013, and the business pivoted since then. And, um, you know, again, has been on the board since then and brought in, um, or, or maybe not brought in new management, but brought in consultants and brought in a lot of people to help work on the business and, and do things. So...
1: So what they do is like now what they do apparently is sports fundraising and, and a marketing platform that allows sports teams to raise funds and brands to acquire customers. That's right.
0: Yeah. So They, they basically they realize that especially in the U.S. you'll see, you know, kids sports it gets really expensive. Yeah. I mean, in Canada, you can imagine if you're on a hockey team, you got to buy equipment, you're going to travel with the teams in hotels, go to restaurants. So... FlipGive basically realizing right now the only way to fundraise for that, or the way kids are fundraising for that, is like selling chocolate bars. Yeah. You know, they're like, all right, instead of going door to door selling chocolate bars, why don't we create a platform where you just get your friends and family to shop on things they would normally shop for, but instead they use they shop through FlipGive, and you know FlipGive isn't taking a markup on Walmart or whatever they're just giving you a link so you go through flipgive you go to walmart you buy the stuff you would regularly buy they've got amazon they go walmart they got basically every brand that you'd regularly shop at okay through the flipgive platform and everything you buy gives back to the team and the player that you're supporting is
1: that through like amazon like affiliate links like
0: yeah basically stuff like that i mean it's things that other people are doing so you know you see ebates you see other other guys doing this mm-hmm. what flipgive realized is a lot of these brands want to support sports teams and, and youth. So they're willing to give back at much higher rates than they would on like Ebates where you might get two percent back or one percent back. On Flipgive you might get four percent back, five percent back. I mean yeah. I know some brands are giving as much as ten to fifteen percent. And the reason they want to do that is because these are great loyal customers. These are access to families and and youth. And we basically at IGAN realized this really early on. We're like, all right, that that core fundamental investment thesis hasn't changed, right? So if something's not working and they're they're pivoting something around the business to to focus in on that investment thesis still, then of course we want to keep providing capital to support that, right? Like the right team is in place, the right software is there, and the market is reacting positively to it. So, you know, if if all it takes is a little bit more capital to get this thing mm-hmm. to the moon, then let's do it, right? And I think we made the right bet two years ago when we decided, yes, we're going to, you know, help them restructure and pivot and, and continue to grow because now the Series A is, is taking off. So, yeah.
1: yeah. That's great. But uh, so they pivoted away from a healthcare tech company. Is that how they got, initially got funding from you guys?
0: No. So back in the day, I, again, used to support all sort of B2B SaaS Companies. Okay, so it wasn't sort of, a specialized yeah, healthcare tech fund. It was, it was medical imaging and B two B SaaS. And the reason medical imaging was in there is because Sam's background is in medical imaging. So Sam has had ultrasound company exits to, to Fuji, Sonosite, Visual Sonics. So, jeez.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you didn't understand that's like a whole business model there, right? Like supporting these kind of specific niche companies. Oh,
0: exactly, man. Med- medical imaging is, is huge. Yeah. Huge industry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's great. Any other cool companies? Oh, I mean, every single one of these
0: companies has a cool <laughs> story. It could, we could talk for days about each one. RNA Diagnostics is a really great one as well. Um, there was uh,
1: one that demoed at uh, Pitch Hill, the Happy to Heal, the eSight,
0: was it? Uh, eSight is another great one. eSight is uh, helping, you know, return sight to legally blind. Is that people. a portfolio company as well? Or? Yeah, so they're, they're right there at the end of there. Oh, yeah. eSight. And so, I mean, that, that's always a crowd pleaser because. Hmm, It's Hmm. funny that the pages are... It's all right. I think our our website is getting updated. Things are under construction. Yep. But we can go to the eSight Eyewear website and you can check them out. Yeah, that's the one.
1: Electronic glasses for the legally blind. Right. So this was a really cool one because at the Pitch to Heal... I mean, every
0: year, again does... So in the past, prior to Pitch to Heal, we used to do October Tech Fest and Mm -hmm. uh, we would basically uh, donate an e-site device to some, you know, lucky uh, child usually at the event by selling raffle tickets at our event and and getting other uh, support from our community partners and and investors. But it's it's a tear-jerker moment at every one of our annual events when, you know, a, a little kid comes up and yeah. gets to see for the first time. It clearly. was insane like
1: I saw that yeah. at that event like you you guys picked I think 3 was it three? I wow. think two or three people, yeah, who... So back to how this works, basically for the legally blind. It's yeah. people who are not completely blind but, like, are impaired. Right. Right, basically cannot see. Usually
0: and it's the, you know, they have some con- uh, some condition that's that's getting rid of their central vision. So they have central vision loss but they still have peripheral, peripheral vision. vision. And so the glasses basically use prisms and, I don't know, other great physics and technology to... Take advantage of the fact that they still have per- peripheral vision and sort of fill in the gaps, let them see Yeah. Again completely. So, from what I
1: understand it from uh, one of their, I think the founders or um, one of the key component teams, there, members there explained to me that what it does is pretty much it's it's a series of, of um, uh, cameras, right, mm-hmm. that takes high image uh, pictures of their environment and then, like, really shoots it into the eye, mm-hmm. right, and just pretty much like gives it enough information. So if a certain part of the eye can actually still um, see technically, Mm -hmm. right? It shoots the full image through prisms into that image. So through that one part actually still working, you can actually holistically see. Something like that. Something like that, right? Um, So giving vision back to the people who physically there is some capabilities there but just magnifying it uh, exactly
0: I mean this is again this one example of you know of the many companies that we have exact imaging so they they created uh, you know a new medical device for um, identifying prostate cancer and you know actually one of the employees at exact while like they were just running tests like to to try out the the device uh, they're making I don't know a new model or something like that mm-hmm. and he was able to catch his prostate cancer early because of that. Yeah. Like, how unbelievable is that? Like, you know, some of these companies are saving lives every day. And that, that's where it goes beyond just investing for dollars, right? Absolutely. Like, investing in healthcare and medtech. And I mean, it gives you a reason to wake up in the morning and really give it your all. It's I like noticed that from people. talking to
1: people um, at Eastside, Like, yeah. every one of the company, it just seems so like satisfied, like they're yeah. doing something so meaningful, fulfilling. Yeah. so fulfilling, right? Yeah. Like they're just driven by something more than just like uh, uh, creating a regular product or service, right? Absolutely, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. RNA Diagnostics is another company we've got that, so RNA, what they do is um, they created an assay to test for, for breast cancer, but basically after, you've, after you start chemo um, right now, the way it works is... Doctors have to bring you in maybe after four months of chemo to get imaging done to see mm-hmm. if the, the tumor has shrunk. I don't know if it's four months or less, but you know, doctors will tell you you have to go through several rounds of chemo before you're able to really see any, any change. What well, these guys developed is an assay that you, know, you take a biopsy of that mm-hmm. tumor after one round of chemo, and they can tell you if it's working or not. That's magical. I mean, you're able to save lives. You you reduce the toxicity of putting someone through chemotherapy that isn't working. And then you can move them on to a treatment that might actually work instead. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, one of the things that we see is we're moving towards personalized medicine. And people are going to start getting these drug cocktails and, and, you know, these treatment plans that are catered specifically to them. And we definitely think these types of diagnostic tools and these assays are going to be so important for, for actually applying that, that new treatment pathway. Because you need to know whether the cheaper treatments are working before you can move them onto something that's more expensive. So. Great. Yeah. We, we are excited about what RNA Diagnostics is doing and helping them fund right now this large multi-site, yeah. you know, multinational. They're, they're in five countries, running a, a trial of 600 plus patients called Brevity. And uh, looking forward to getting some results from that later this year.
1: That's awesome. Um, I mean, that's one of the main things like I realize now talking to you, like the function that the venture capital space provides. It's like right. helping companies that are providing real solutions in the market space. You guys are identifying these companies which have the ability to actually like, to do this, to perform the solutions that they're meant to be doing,
0: right? right? You guys are the filter base. Banks aren't giving these guys money. No. Like, there's no way anybody out here is raising money from, uh, you know, RBC. You know, you'd, you'd have a hard time opening a restaurant, trying to get money from RBC. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Forget about these types of risky, you know, really interesting technology plays. So this is where we we really got to dig in, and we rely heavily on our clinical advisory board and a lot of due diligence partners to mm-hmm. help us kind of make sure that we're backing the right scientists and the right technology.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, and one of the things I've been following um, is also like, like the growth of the, the, the just the VC like the VC companies, right, mm-hmm. themselves, like how many companies have come up. Like, in, in, like Canada's still pretty new when it comes to the, like the, the financial support structure for the innovation economy, right? Like, sure. Like, OMERS was the first real VC co- firm. Okay. Right, am I correct there? Like, that really started mm-hmm. off here?
0: Maybe, I don't know all the full details of the history of VC in Canada, but yeah, yeah OMERS is uh, definitely a, a large VC here, and they've been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. John Ruffalo, I think, started that group there after leaving Deloitte and joined Omers way back when. And
1: I remember, like, uh, they got a lot of flack because Omers handles the the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, and right? Well,
0: they're the municipal, I think. Municipal? Yeah. Oh, the Toronto,
1: Toronto, Toronto Teachers Pension Plan.
0: That's a different. uh, Different? That's a different pension plan. Omers is the municipal one. The municipal one.
1: Okay. Never mind. But still, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, they, they're running a pension plan, they decided to run a, a VC fund out of it, and people mm-hmm. are like, You're betting, you're basically betting with like pension money, right? Like,
0: right, but I mean, so a lot of these, like, right now, I mean, Omer's still has their funds that do you know invest in a lot of different things absolutely. outside of VC, right? Yeah. They they allocate small portion of their overall capital. I mean, I think that's generally true for any portfolio you're constructing is you don't wanna be over allocated into any one industry. So yep. you choose how you wanna split up your, your pool of capital and mm. generally maybe one to 2% go to these sort of alternative assets and, and venture as part of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they've got really smart guys working on portfolio construction at all of these institutional players that are choosing to allocate to VC. Mm-hmm. That are making sure they're not getting too much risk exposure into the venture space. That being said, you know we haven't taken any institutional capital yet. We're working strictly with uh, family offices to date, and you know we're still able to raise hundred million dollars mm-hmm. without any institutional money, without going to pension funds and banks and you know you name it. So, you know whether or not the fund of funds are are ready to to invest in our fund is is yet to be seen, but. There is capital out there that isn't only from you know pensions and uh, yeah. institutional players. Like, yeah. There's but a lot of capital available mm-hmm. in our ecosystem through, you know, private investors basically.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I think the growth of that space has been really in the last five or ten years, really, right? Yeah. Um, previously, sure. there wasn't much players in that space. Yeah. But now and we're seeing more and more.
0: When you rely on institutional capital only, you know their idea of risky is very different from, you know, like a typical US VC's idea of risky, right? Yeah. Like institutional investors typically only come in at much later stage when a lot of the risk has been, you know, taken care of by the smaller investors who right. stuck, stuck it through and put in money early and, and, you know, help build these companies, yeah.
1: Yeah, like with Silicon Valley and like how the VC space grew there, it was right. mostly company, people of, like, founders of companies that exited pro- uh, exited in early stage like uh, sorry in the early in the valley era right 1.01 right. Like I mean, before some but.
0: some are that and some are guys like you know whether if you're an exec or you're a, a high level you know senior manager or something at some of these large tech companies you're making enough money each year to to bank away quite a bit and mm-hmm. you can become an investor in a few years of working a job like that I think that's something that we don't have as much of in Canada because we don't have as many large tech companies that were based here. I mean, maybe BlackBerry would have been a good example where I'm sure a lot of the ex-BlackBerry guys have now spun out to invest in a ton of companies. Hopefully, they weren't locked up in stock, in which case, probably not much with much. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, we like, see. You get what I'm trying yeah, to say? like absolutely. You know, Whether it's Oracle, Google, you know, Apple, Microsoft, you name it, like, they've got tons of employees that have made money over the years that now they can go out and invest in supporting businesses with, right? Yeah. We just don't have as much of that here. And so, I mean, that's one example. I and mean, on top of that, there's also just the way they look at risk seems to be very different from how we look at risk. Yeah. But one thing I do want to caution to, you know, startups and other businesses that we meet, a lot of them say like, oh, you know, someone will give a term sheet for 50 million out an SF, right? It's like, okay, but if you take that 50 million term sheet and you don't hit every milestone in the next nine months, you're never raising money again, yeah. and you can you know, kiss your idea goodbye. You, that's, it's basically over right then and there, because they're not gonna sign another term sheet from a Canadian VC after that, at five million valuation, no way. Yeah. Why are they gonna write down their investment that badly, right? So, I, I always caution them, you know, prior to taking that 50 million term sheet, think about where you wanna get in the next 18 months, how much money you really need to raise to get there, how much dilution you're willing to accept, and then, you know, who's going to help you get to achieve those goals? Like, who's actually going to be there Sunday night when you need, you know, some encouragement or you need some help, right? Yeah. Is it going to be the guy in SF on the other side of the country, or is it going to be the investors down the street who you can you know, visit at any time?
1: Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's a whole different skill set because as a founder who's a big bootstrapping, and so resource starved, right? You have this ability to raise exponential capital. You kind of want to jump at it. Right. Right. So you being able to be like, okay, I don't need this right now. I I need just this. And you know what? If if you're
0: the type of guy who can take ten million dollars and deploy it effectively to hit the type of growth metrics you have to hit as a fifty million dollar company, like right away, having raised no capital ever before, then all the power to you. Go for it. Right. But if if, if even for a second you're thinking hey, I might not actually know how to do this and I don't know if I'd be able to deploy $10 million this quickly, having never raised money and deployed it in the past. Yeah. Maybe start slower, especially if you're based in Canada and you know, there isn't a ton of competition you know, scratching to, to come up at you, right? Like if you're in healthcare, you don't have to necessarily raise a ton of money and deploy it right away in order to scale up super fast because there's naturally some molts in place to, to keep you one step above or ahead of competition. And I'm not saying that's the right strategy for all companies, you know what I mean? Every company is different. And there's different strategies to deploy in different industries and verticals. I gotta throw out the qualifier. Yeah. But yeah, I think generally in healthcare, you're, you're safe raising a little bit less money or raising money more gradually. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I mean, within the startup space, like you see a lot of these like um, so-called founders, right? Okay. We'll go to uh, pitch competitions and just pitch ideas that they have no intention of building and take capital. If like you see one so a while. okay, right? Some people will win all this capital and nothing comes out of it, right? You do you see this happening with VCs too, where they would take the terms sheet and like not deliver? Um, so that's that's I guess a tricky question, right? I mean,
0: anytime we sign a term sheet, we definitely sign it with the intention of investing. There, there are you know. There's opportunities to break a term sheet kind of built into the, the language there, mostly around due diligence, right? If, if we find out through our diligence that you know anything that was kind of sold to us in the initial pitch isn't exactly what we thought it was. And it's bad enough that you know now we don't really want to invest in this company anymore, mm-hmm. then we might back out. But it's rare, I think, for us to get to the stage of having a you know a signed agreement where a really sort of on the same page and then not following through on an investment unless something's gone completely haywire in the diligence process.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. So like my my, my real ask is not just with your fund, like with other funds in general, like how do you prevent like charlatans who will come and say, like, yeah, I'll take that 50 million dollars and
0: I'll go do X. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you, know? you got to do hopefully enough diligence to avoid avoid the fraudsters and the charlatans. There's, there's guys out here. Mm-hmm. we'll do all kinds of stuff
1: yeah, yeah. definitely so awesome and like, uh, so now you've been in the VC world for a while and I think I asked you this as well would yeah. you spot it spin an out and do your own startup would you I, I don't know I would mean, you I go and work in a startup
0: right now I'm loving what I get to do being at an active investor means I get to have some of that operational experience yeah. that I would get being at a startup so I don't necessarily see a reason to, to jump out into that yet right I'm still learning a ton every day and you know, funding continues to grow our opportunities continue to grow so I mean I just feel blessed and lucky to be in the role that I'm in and actually love it so it's like yeah, I don't know I don't want to change any of it yet yeah. not for the foreseeable future but that's what I said at that time before <laughs> yeah, so I don't see but yeah no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make any moves in that I'm way. enjoying the
1: growth future? The learning Kirby on right now computer, oh, I mean, It's still exponential every day I mean, I would, I would imagine just having the title of being part of VC for it opens a lot of doors. We mm-hmm. would even like I can access uh, access people in general. Absolutely, like being able to
0: just even you know, doing diligence on companies, right? Being able to reach out to top professors at universities, top executives at corporate, like at companies, and be able to talk to them about the technology or or just even the business, like what they're doing and where they see you know risks for technology entering and disrupting them. It's like yeah, I can have those conversations and learn from these people. I would not have access to any of those guys if I was stated at, you know, any other sort of corporate job that I was just another guy kind of working at a place.
1: Right. Yeah. Like the title of VC definitely opens a lot of doors. Definitely. Yeah. Um now, like lately we see a lot of like high worth people opening up their own funds. Yeah. I think it's mostly because due to technology, it's cheaper than ever to run a fund. So rather than have like if you have if you're a high people, you're an actor. Ashton Kutcher is famous for having yeah. his own fund, and like, um, like Will Smith ha- is now investing in funds right. So one thing I'll say about that is the the real value
0: out of the fund is not that like you know there's a there's a vehicle that's investing on your behalf. I think it's sort of the team that's out there making the investments, mm-hmm. right? It's, that's you know if you're a high net worth individual, you know you might not want to go through the effort of meeting 100 companies, right. picking one, doing the diligence to find out, you know, if the tech that they've created is, is real and if the impact they're going to have is substantial, modeling that and trying to figure out whether this is the right investment at the right price. I mean, if, if you really want to go through on that, effort, for sure, right? Like, but if you're a high net worth individual, like, you got a boat and you can go to Mexico. <laughs> and i just do that. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, I guess like, if you enjoy investing, then... If, for sure. I Go think for what
1: like what's more going on is that rather than get their money their money actually managed by somebody else. Sure. Right. They're saying that hey, we can put together put together my money to get here. Hey, hire five people to manage it and have like an investment firm that I yeah. can now invest in companies. Right. Like. Okay. Like, and Williams doing this. Ball players. Mm-hmm. Right. Athletes. Sure. Here. I guess the benefit to somebody
0: doing that would be. I mean, they're, they're still technically paying that management fee mm-hmm. because they're paying all the staff to manage the capital. It'd probably be on that the performance fee side of things. So the, the sort of typical 2 in 20 model means you're getting a 2% management fee. And then 20% performance fee is, is the carry. So that's, you know, once you return all the capital, probably plus some designated like hurdle rate return, any return above that, 20% of that return goes back to the, the guys who are managing the capital, right? That carry. But I imagine even at a fund like Ashton Kutcher runs, like the guys running the fund probably still want that 20% carry. So I don't think they're saving any money on the, the cost side of it, it's probably the clout. Yeah. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher just wants to be able to call himself a VC, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And so
1: I was wondering how to figure out, I mean, is there a real value add that they're actually making more capital here? Or if high net worth guys? Mm-hmm. I mean, they could be. I don't know if they're actually returning more
0: money, if they're actually getting better returns, or, yeah, I haven't actually worked with any celebrity funds. Um, we almost got Dikembe Mutombo into a company, but yeah, okay. he didn't end up uh, working out. He was flying around too much. So,
1: Wasn't there a DC fund you were working with recently, the music one? Uh, what was it called? Um, it was an entertainment based fund. Uh, by Nas? And oh, and Queensbridge.
0: Queensbridge. Yeah. They, they co invested in MedChart with us. Okay. Um, so I unfortunately didn't get to meet the guys from Queensbridge, but yeah, I wonder if they actually get to hang out with Nas or how, how involved Nas is in, in making investments. Um, I mean, it would be so cool to get to meet some of these guys yeah. <laughs> when we co invest, but I mean, we sold one business to the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Right. And so this was prior to me joining again, but apparently. You know, Mark Zuckerberg was here in Toronto. But no one from IGAN actually got to meet him. It was it was that he was in the room, he signed his paperwork, and then he left. And then later <laughs> that day, I was in the same room and uh, signed the paperwork and left. But yes, yeah.
1: that's
0: pretty close. <laughs> I mean he yeah. breathed the same air. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's funny. A lot of the celebrity funds, I mean, I, I think it's good for it's good for the community because it's adding more capital, it's adding more exposure. That's all positive, right? right. So I mean whether they're saving money or whether they're getting better deals by doing it themselves I, I don't know but it's it's still all positive like generally vcs work together especially in canada we're not too competitive on deals we're not fighting each other off so you know if there's a round that we can both participate in and we both add value it's all the power to us right yeah. let's all work together yeah if we rather like come invest and work together and pumping that before company up oh absolutely so it works more i mean especially if we're all active managers it's like mm-hmm. Hey, look, you know, it, it's rare to get to a situation where there's too many cooks in the kitchen. It's, we're all adding value to these businesses. So let's all just take part and keep adding value. Definitely. Yeah.
1: All right, so what do you see, like, again, going forward and you're raising to a fun are Yes. Or any particular uh, company looking forward to that or is, is you going to replicate the model we are working on? I think right
0: now the idea is to continue with the model we're working on to yeah. so replicate the existing model, just more capital and more companies. Um, I mean, hopefully, eventually, we, we start to look at later stage companies as well. So maybe even taking on Series A to Series B rounds, right? We're going to continue with the strategy of helping commercialize our businesses abroad. So taking them to South America, to, you know, Mexico, obviously the U.S., out to the Middle East, and to China in uh, coming years. So we're signing a lot of partnerships and working with a lot of new, okay. new groups of investors and kind of commercial groups to to. Get that going off the
1: ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, we already are. We've taken so many of our companies out to whether it's Europe, the Middle East, China, Mexico, South America, the US. This is stuff we've already done, but now it's it's building in the processes to make it super repeatable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see during a lot of this when we see funds, they they move more into later stage funding. Safer? Sure. I mean, I wouldn't say it's because it's safer. I think the reason that ends up
0: happening is because. As you are successful in what you're doing, you end up raising more capital. As you raise more capital, it's like, it's harder to deploy that by writing, you know, 500K million dollar checks. You know, imagine there's a day when we raise $500 million. You know, we're not gonna just be able to spend that. You're gonna have to start investing later stage. Because, you know, there's only so many of us, and if we want to stay an active investor, we can't really take on many more companies, right? So if we're going to invest in the same number of companies, but we're going to invest five times the money, we've got to be investing larger check sizes basically. So I think that's why it ends up happening naturally that investors start looking at later stage deals as they grow. Then also, if you think about our portfolio, you know, as we grow, our companies are going to grow. And, you know, now instead of having a lot of series A or a lot of seed companies, you know, the portfolio is going to be mostly companies that are ready for series B, C, D. Yeah. and so that's just naturally going to be where we fit, you know, it's sort of how everybody, I guess, doesn't, it. it's sort of what's happened over the years, but, you know, ideally, Knockout Wood, again, will be there in the near future as well.
1: Yeah, and we see this more now, like, the way, I hadn't explained to me, I was looking more into this, is that innovation goes through with waves, I guess, okay. where, like, um, a whole bunch of beginner stage companies will get invested into it, and then, They'll become, they'll pop off, something will pop off and become bigger, become bigger, 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 from that capital liquidate and then mm-hmm. go into more co- other companies and a second wave will develop based off of that. Right. right? Um, I think that's very interesting to see that uh, holistically with the market, how it moves. Right. But um, like one of the key movers for that was like Anderson Horowitz, I think, early this year. Yeah. They decided to move away from their VC status, turn to. into, I think more of a bank, uh, so they can. Move. Is that what they Yeah, Z. So they right. can do like different types of financing rounds. Okay, right. Um, so that was a surprising move, and like yeah. that would got me involved like, into like researching like why is that happening, right? Like, right. why is company why is more of these more these um, more like larger name funds becoming later stage funds, right? It's because they want to chase and keep their current portfolio companies funded and moving. That's
0: part of it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you listen to we with Tia, that's what you Yeah, me, yeah, that's him. <laughs> they, they gotta keep it they gotta keep these large rounds growing and these companies. that gotta keep ballooning. I think it was him, yeah. Social know. capital, right? Yeah, yeah, social capital, exactly. But uh, you know, uh, yet to be seen with our companies whether you know that's the case. But I, I think we're we're building real businesses and yeah. we're we're always focused on fundamentals. So yeah, yeah we would try to avoid these sort of balloony type companies that are raising money on data sets and you know, we raise money on, I don't know, like, basically things that don't actually drive revenue, necessarily. So yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it, it's fine, because like, outside looking in, in the VC right. world, and like, even high finance in general, you see a lot of toxicity, right? I mean, that's what the market talks about. But looking from internally, you see why... What do you mean toxicity? Like, like uh, these toxicity. kind of things, like, the money being circulated in the same kind of pools, like... Okay. You know what I mean? Not to put, <laughs> put a damper on it. It's not just, toxicity, though, yeah.
0: right? That's it's people working together. It's yeah. not like it's not like we're we're holding capital away from businesses in order to get you know cheap prices and you know it's not like people are colluding to keep prices down and because exactly. that would be toxic, yeah. right? If investors are working together to say, hey, look, let's all not invest in this company until we bring this price down. Like I can imagine that being toxicity, right? Yeah. But no, instead it's it's hey, I found a great deal here and I want all of us to participate in it. And it's bringing more investors into the fray. It's not really well, keeping valley, investors yeah, out there,
1: I think you know? in the Valley, there was like, rumors of a blacklist, right? Like if an investor didn't like you, they put you on a blacklist with all other VC funds and I, you're, you're burned. I haven't seen a blacklist like that <laughs> uh,
0: We're not doing that in Toronto, we can say that for sure. Yeah, Seriously. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes, hey, that's going on out there, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the is different, right? Yeah. That's one of the main reasons why a lot of these, um, a lot of that capital and a lot of those companies are now moving here. I
0: guess. Absolutely. And then Trump's policies, too, are definitely helping us with uh, recruiting top
1: talent out here. It's funny how, like, the the kind of trade war situation Trump brought on is actually boosting us indirectly, right? I mean, we're we're getting tons of developers now
0: that are ex, like, you know, whatever Bay Area company employees that didn't get their H 1Bs renewed or couldn't get a visa because, like, the lottery is crazy now. You cut, I think you cut the number of stuff that's available in half or something, right? Like, I don't know the exact numbers, but there's a lot more guys coming back to Canada that have been working in Cali for the, few, the last few years. So mm-hmm. it's, it's great for what we've got going on here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really been an implosion in like resources and talent, and capital, yeah. everything for the, the innovation the ecosystem, yeah, the economy and trying to grow. Yeah, it's exploding up here right now. Uh, Do you I, see it continue to grow? Like,
0: I hope so. Yeah, I, I definitely think we're on the trajectory that will continue growing. I mean, people are talking about recession and stuff like that. I mean, the great thing about healthcare is we're generally recession-proof, and yeah. the other good thing about BC is there's, there's generally a time lag to noticing indicators of recession in venture capital. So, if something's affecting the broader market, you, you're sort of shielded from that in BC for at least a few years. And it's always a good time to keep investing when uh, markets taking a hit, that's, that's what Absolutely. they say right
1: by when there's float on the streets. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome, man. Well, it's been great for an hour. Like, wow. We just blew through that. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, had a great time. Right, thank you for coming on, and we got more into a professional stance of uh, your thoughts on the VC world. Yeah, I'm glad uh, the caps police didn't uh, come after us again, so we're <laughs> safe out here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. for those watching, <laughs> they came by right before we started. Yes. And just checked out what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, awesome, buddy. Okay. Thank, you. thank you for coming. Okay. Yes, thank you. it been great. Yeah. Good
0: job, guys.